So if you're just joining us, we are in the second week of our series. It is called Unrivaled. Last week we talked about the unrivaled nature and the identity of Jesus Christ. He is greater than any man, right? Greater than any angel, greater than any other force you would ever encounter in this world because he is God incarnate. There is no equal. And if we are to find strength and healing and salvation and the glory of eternity at the right hand of God, the only place that that comes from is Jesus Christ. That's it. This week, we're going to delve in a little deeper and talk about his, one of his roles. But first, um, so some of you may know this story. Do you know my experiences with Camp Wilson? No? Matt does. Okay. So we've talked about it. When I was a kid, um, we went to, my brother and I went to Camp Wilson once. We spent the week there. So my parents dropped us off. They drove us from Columbus and dropped us off. We spent the week at Camp Wilson. And um, camp was over Friday night or Friday afternoon about 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock comes. Everybody comes and gets their kids except for my brother and I. Now, this is before cell phones, right? So this is long before cell phones. So all you've got is the phone at your house and an answering machine, right? Not even voicemail. It's an answering machine. So the counselors call, and they call, and they call from 3 o'clock till about 11 o'clock at night, they call. Nobody answers. It turns out my parents were taking this one last night of freedom to go out and do some things and had gotten the date totally wrong. So now the good news is they did not in fact abandon us. They did pick us up the next morning. When I moved here, I took a picture of the entrance to Camp Wilson and said, greatest scar of my life, mom. Now I live next door to it. To which she was like, shut up. But so, so, so in that time frame, I felt, I don't know about you, but I, I, how you would have felt, but I felt lost, right? I felt lost and hurt and abandoned, all because of a mistake, right? But, but you know, I facetiously say, worst scar of my life. It wasn't. I'm fine. I'm only slightly scarred by, I'm kidding, I'm fine. But because it was a mistake, but I, in the moment, I didn't feel very good. Now, I could easily just say that's my parents' fault, which it was. I can blame them. But there are other times in my life where um, I have been at fault for wandering away. I wandered away in Kmart once when I was like five and uh, disappeared from my parents. They couldn't, my mom couldn't find me. She was flipping out upset, bawling, crying, and I didn't know what to do because I couldn't find her, and I was upset and bawling and crying and hurt, and I didn't know where she was, so I promptly went up to the front counter, and I said to the people behind the service counter, I am lost. I think my mother abandoned me. (laughs) So they announced my name over the intercom, and my mom comes up, and they told her. They said, he thinks you abandoned him. She goes... Seriously? Seriously. 
you wandered off, which I had, okay? That was me. I had wandered off. The thing is, in that moment, the feelings weren't for, that I had weren't much different from the time that I felt like my mom and dad had wandered off from me. In both those cases, I felt lost. In both those cases, I felt hurt. In both those cases, I felt abandoned. Sometimes that was her fault. Sometimes it was my fault. But it didn't, the feelings were the same because the conditions felt the same. I think that sometimes we can feel abandoned and hurt in our relationship with God. And I, and I, and I want to tell you that most of it, well, every time, it's not God. God didn't wander away from you. You probably wandered away from Him. But that doesn't change the fact that it hurts. Doesn't change the fact that it doesn't feel good, that you feel lost and abandoned in your difficult times. It doesn't change the reality that you're in pain. The story of Job, if you know his stories, he's, he, his whole story is about basically feeling like God has abandoned him. God has allowed some things to happen. He's allowed some things to happen to, to show to Satan that Job is righteous, Job is wonderful, and that Job will stick with him through and through no matter what. But in that moment in time, Job's not feeling too good about things. As we pick up Job's story in chapter 9, he's, he's scraping himself with broken pottery, right? It's interesting that, that self-harm and cutting is, a, is there in the Scriptures so long ago, and we act like sometimes that's, that's a new thing that just started. That's not true. People harming themselves happened centuries ago, thousands of years ago. So he's scraping himself with pottery. He's yearning for somebody to rise up and to intervene with God, to make this pain stop, to make it so he doesn't feel lost anymore, to make him reconnect, to figure that out, to cross that bridge between him and God. And these are his words, he says, because he doesn't feel like he can negotiate with God. He says, for he, meaning God, is not a man like me, that I can, I can answer him, that we can take each other to court, right? You ever try to take God to court? Good luck with that. There is no mediator between us to lay his hand on both of us. Let him take his rod away from me so that his terror will no longer frighten me. And then, then I would speak and, and not fear him, but that is not the case. And I am on my own. Do you ever feel like you're on your own? That is, that is the plea of many of the people of God over the centuries, feeling like they are on their own, like they're just trying to figure things out. And the truth is, God says throughout the Old Testament, He reminds His people, yeah, you're following all the rules and doing all the things, and, and, but your hearts are far away from Me, right? Because they have strayed, they have walked away from Him, sometimes unknowingly, sometimes by choice, but it doesn't change the fact that they're hurting and in their times of need, they're saying, is there a way to bridge this gap? Is there a way to solve this problem? And then almost as if Paul was listening to him in 1 Timothy 2.5, he says, for there is one God and one mediator. Remember that mediator that Job just called for? There is one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ. Paul answers Job's plea, and he also answers ours. 
Today's topic is unrivaled, and, and Jesus is unrivaled as our high priest, the enduring, glorious bridge that only God could build between him and us. It's what Job longed for. It's what those who do not know the Lord long for. And guess what? God made it happen. So before we get into that text, we're going to talk about first what a high priest is. Do you know what a high priest is? Any guesses? He's a priest. He's high. He stands on a pedestal. He's taller than me. He's a mediator. He's supposed to be a mediator, right? So let's talk about qualities of a high priest in the ancient Hebrew tradition. The first would be this. He had to be a Levite. Had to be a Levite. What does that mean? Well, Levites are one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they had a unique connection to God. When the, the, the promised land was divvied up amongst the people of God, all the other tribes got land. They got stuff. Do you know what the Levites got? God. They got a relationship with God and a connection with God. In fact, the scripture goes so far as to say, God says to the Levites that he will be their portion. That they don't need land. They don't need farms. They don't need anything. And the truth is the people of God were required to provide for those Levites, to care for those Levites, to care for that connection to God. The first high priests were Aaron and his descendants. We see it first discussed in Exodus 28.1. And it's interesting, they are, the, they are the firstborn of each family. They do not choose to be priests. They are chosen to be priests, okay? So that's the first thing. You can't be from the tribe of Benjamin and be a priest. You cannot be from the tribe of Judah and be a priest. You can't just be any old body. You gots to be a Levite or you can't be a priest, okay? Then we go into roles. What is a high priest supposed to do, Right? We spent a ton of time talking about the book of Leviticus, right, a couple of months ago. Guess what? That highlights what the Levites, Leviticus, do you get the, get the connection? Yeah? What they're supposed to be doing. Their job is to teach the people of God what it means to be the people of God, what he expects, what he desires, and what he, he wishes for them. Their job is also to be caretakers, to care, take care of the scriptures and the temple, to watch out for them, to be judges. They are the people who try to interpret what is going on in a, in a given situation and say, how would God have me handle this? How would God have you solve this? And they were mediators between people and not just between the people and God. Their job was to guide the kings to guide the land of Israel in their choices and their decisions and their following God. They were also uh, responsible for atonement. You know what that means? Guess? What does atone mean? Say what? Getting rid of their sins. See? Y'all knew that answer. You didn't speak up. Getting rid of their sins. He, they, the, the priest's job was to make it right. And they did it year after year by sacrificing animals for that, by spilling blood. Because something had to be done. There had to be a price paid to make things right. Their job was to connect people with God. But what's really interesting, and Nancy mentioned it as she was leading up to one of her songs, you could only connect with God or make things right with God once a year. Once a year. In fact, the high priest was only allowed to enter the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, only 
once a year. And only him. He was the one high priest, the one connection, and you only had access to God once a year through him. Why do I go through all that? Because I want you to hear when the people read the book of Hebrews, when they originally read it, that's what they would have heard. When they use the term high priest, they would have seen all those things. They would have seen their very connection to God, their identity in God, the notion that there's no way to get to God without this person. So if the author of Hebrews calls Jesus the high priest, which, by the way, he does several times, I want you to hear what they would have heard. I want you to understand what they would have understood. And I also want you to recognize where Jesus broke all the rules. Because he did. So let's get into, the, into Hebrews chapter 5. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So we talked about that, the atoning, the connection, working for the people, being the mediator. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and who are going astray since he is also clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must, must take an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. No one takes his honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron was. So there's our history. There's a, those are the things. Those are the connections and the history and the story of what it meant to be a priest and how to become that. But the author of Hebrews also identifies that as, as all the wonderful things that priests can do and a high priest does, there are also some significant weaknesses about a high priest significant ones. First is this, they are a mere man among men. Okay? And that's important. This is going to sound egotistical. It's not supposed to. Sometimes I feel like I am looked at as kind of a high priest. I shouldn't be. I am a man among men. Okay? I am a man among men. I hope I have a gift for teaching but I am merely a man. They are also beset with common weaknesses. I don't know about you, but I've got some weaknesses. My wife, if she was here, might say amen. Probably not, but she, she would think it. She just wouldn't say it. You know, we all bring the weaknesses that come with our history and our background and our personal experiences to the text and to our faith, the way we walk through our faith, the way we see God. The problem with that is sometimes we try to develop a God that looks like us rather than helping us transform to what God would have us look like, right? I read things in if I'm not careful. I look for things that corroborate what I think or what I already know. That's a weakness because that's not helping us all see a clear picture of who God is, right? Keep that in mind. It's not our job to decide who God is. It's his job to decide who we are supposed to be. There's another weakness. They're also sinful, just like the people he represented. They have desires and make mistakes, and they do things that they should not do. High priests are far from perfect. And there is no honor in himself but only from God. There's nothing about a high priest's character that says he's special. Any honor that he receives is purely his connection to God. And I, I would say the same 
about, about a pastor or me or anybody else. There's nothing about me that's special. What's special is God. And I am just blessed to get to serve Him. Jesus, though, was not that. And that's, that's, that's the crux of this. Jesus was not that. Let's continue in Hebrews. It says, in the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but it was God who said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Also, saying in another place, you are a a high priest, a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, which we will get into in a minute. During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. And although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek's listed twice in there. Anybody wondering who Melchizedek is? Melchizedek is listed um, 13 times in the Bible, 11 of them in the book of Hebrews. 11 of the 13 in the book of Hebrews. He's only listed two other places, Genesis 14 and Psalm 110. So if, if the writer of Hebrews thinks it's this important to draw that out, let's consider for a second what that, what that might mean. Let's look at Genesis 14. It says, after picking up verse 17, it says, after Abram... So this is even before he became Abraham, right? He was the father of a nation instead of the father of many nations. From defeating, you want to guess? Cheddar Lomer? Good, we'll go with it. That's my guess. And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him in the Shaveh Valley, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was a priest to the Most High God. So he blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God Most High, who was handed over to your handed over your enemies to you. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So what do we learn about the identity of Melchizedek, which is exactly when he says you're in the order of Melchizedek, when, and the author of Hebrews says that, he's saying you are like this guy. There's something about Jesus that is like this guy. So what, why is this guy so special? Well, first is timing. First is timing. Melchizedek, this time in history, Genesis 14, is roughly 600 years before the Exodus. Why does that matter, do you think? When did God establish the Levites as priests? After the Exodus. After the Exodus. So this guy is not a Levite. He may not even be a Jew. And yet he is a priest of the God Most High. So already this guy Melchizedek is breaking the mold of what it means to be a high priest just because he predates anything the Israelites would have called a high priest. We also see that he is a both, both the priest and king of Salem. Did you know that in the, time, in, the, in the way Hebrews looked at the world, you could not be both? Levites were called to be king, were called to be priests. Mostly people from the tribe of Judah were called to be kings. Now, there, are, there were some exceptions to that, but for the most part, it was people from the tribe of Judah. You could not be both. 
And yet, Melchizedek is. Who else is? Jesus is the answer. That's, see, this is church. That's the easy word, right? Jesus is the answer. He is a both king and priest. And that is weird to a Hebrew. That should not happen. Because remember, as we were looking through earlier what some of the jobs of a priest were, their job was to guide a king. Their job was not to be the king. There's a very difference. God created a split there, a delineation for a reason, but he clearly didn't do it with Melchizedek, and he clearly didn't do it with Jesus. They are the exceptions, not the rule. I will say this. It is likely that Melchizedek was actually the king of Jerusalem because Salem is, is one of the words applied as a name to Jerusalem before it became Jerusalem. And it also says in Psalm 76 too, it says his tent is in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem, right? So he makes them the same. So this Melchizedek is the king of God's holy city before it became God's holy city. Something about the eternity of Jesus is starting to click. <laughs> Thank you. Salem also means, by the way, peace. So he is the king of Peace. Hmm. I'm starting to see some connections. Are you seeing connections yet? It also should not be lost on you that he shows up with Abram and gives him what? Bread and wine. Abram tithes to him, but he gives him bread and wine. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Pretty sure Passover shows up. Sounds familiar? Pretty sure our remembrance of Christ shows up that way, right? His bread and wine? Interesting. Interesting. So as both priest and king, Jesus' capacity to connect people with God is truly unique. And that's really the source of when he talks about you are in the order of Melchizedek. He's trying to get the people of God to see and clearly understand that Jesus ain't like everybody else. He is like nothing you've experienced before. Now, what does it mean if he is not just priest but king? Why would that be different? What is a priest's role in your life? Spiritual guiding, teaching, right? What's a king's role in your life if you follow a king? Authority. There's an authority there, right? There's an authority there that no priest can have in and of himself. Cannot have it. There's no pastor in your life that can have that kind of authority in your life unless you allow them to, that, right? You know that. Some people listen to what I tell them to do, and some people go, yeah, that sounds cute, and they walk away, and that is your choice. That is totally your choice because I am not your king, right? But Jesus is different. Jesus isn't just the guide. Jesus is also the authority, that's a powerful thing that nobody in the book of Hebrews and none of God's people prior to this would have connected unless they knew who this guy was named Melchizedek. So what does this mean? Well, one, Jesus contrasted the weaknesses of, of, of a, a typical human high priest because Jesus isn't a man among men. Jesus is a God among men. It's a very different standing he is the very authority and reflection of the Father. 
among men. He is the example that needs to be pointed to. See, a, a man among men can only point you to the Lord. A God among men can show you what the Lord, who the Lord is and what the Lord desires. It should be our job as, as leaders and pastors and, and teachers to point others towards Jesus, right? That's our job. He is also without weakness. He has no prejudices, no context, no history, no story. He didn't get abandoned at Camp Wilson or lost at Kmart that, that affects the way he looks at the world. He has no weaknesses. He's also without sin. He's faced all that we face, and he came out pure. If my goal is to avoid the things of sin, the things that drag me away from God, feels like that's the best example for me to follow because he actually lived it. He walked in my shoes, and he pulled off something I can't pull off. I'm thinking I'm aiming at him, right? He's also an honored in his perfect reflection of the things of God. Remember, in and of, of themselves, high priests have no honor. It all comes from God. But Jesus, as a perfect reflection of God, is endowed with that honor that a man cannot achieve. He is endowed with that. So what does that mean for his people? What does that mean for us? The first thing is this. He's incorruptible. Nobody can pull his strings, pull strings with, manipulate, or bribe our heavenly advocate. Nobody can manipulate him. He is on our side making intercession for us no matter what. If you've read the Old Testament, you'll see that repeatedly high priests were corrupted. They were led astray by their own desires, their own weaknesses, their own, their own will, desire to survive or to rule their own world, or to be their own king, or to manipulate the king. We see Jesus arguing with the Pharisees, saying, you claim you're the people of God, but you are clearly, clearly not acting as God would have you act. I would, I would suggest that maybe they were trying to act like both priest and king. They were trying not just to guide the people, they were trying to say, no, 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 you're going to do exactly what we tell you or else. As a king can do but a priest cannot. He is incorruptible, and his goals for you, his desires for you, his intercession for you is genuine, honest, and true no matter what. And there is nobody else in your life, period, who can do that because the rest of us can't get out of our own way sometimes. But Jesus, clear shot to God because he is God. He is also present I love this sentence. This is from Charles Swindoll. It says, full-time sinners need a full-time mediator. Tell me that's not true. You don't have to wait for a certain time or place. God is not just present on Sunday mornings in this church. Thank you, Lord, <laughs> that God is present 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if you are dealing with a challenge or a difficulty at one o'clock in the morning on a Saturday... Guess what? He's there. He can provide a presence that no earthly man or woman can provide, that no priest or spiritual leader can help you find. He is always present. 
never leaving you. He did not abandon you at the camp. You walked away from him at Kmart. That doesn't mean he's not there for you. That doesn't mean you can't just turn around and say, Father, where are you? And he will come right to you. He is always present. And finally, he is secure. I love this quote. Another one from Swindoll. I don't usually use the same guy twice, but this is an amazing quote. It says, if Jesus were only a really good priest rather than a perfect priest, or if he were only an average sacrifice for most sins rather than the final sacrifice for all sin, then we would have room to worry about just how secure our salvation really is. But we don't, right? Because he is perfect. He is a sacrifice for all sins. He is the final authority. He is both priest and king. He does not have any of the weaknesses that I or any other spiritual leader would have. He is God incarnate. And if that guy is fighting your battles for you and with you, I'm thinking you can't lose. I'm thinking you can't lose. The question, though, is almost never whether or not God's willing to fight the battles with you. It's whether or not we're willing to let him. And so as we finish our service today, I would ask you to ask yourself, have you allowed God to be your high priest? Have you allowed him to be present in your life no matter what? Have you allowed him to not just guide you, but to be your authority? And have you found your security in him? Because in, if you haven't, guess when you should start that? Right now? Right now. Oh, you didn't think I was going to be quiet and serious the whole sermon, did you? That's not me. Right now is a great time to start. So as we stand, I'm going to take, as we always do, I'm going to take some prayer requests. If you have an opportunity to come forward, if you, if you feel moved by the Spirit of God to come forward, I would ask you to please do that. Peg is going to play us a little bit of music so that it doesn't feel quite so awkward. I need you to stand up. Didn't I say that? I said it fast. All right. So I only have a couple of prayer requests that were taken ahead of church today. Uh, the first was from Holly Morris. She wants us to pray for the troops and also to pray for Colin's grandfather, Bill. We also have a prayer today for uh, Van's family. As, as most of you know, we laid Van's body to rest yesterday. Um, and, and, and though I, I think there was some healing and some time of mourning in there, they will need us in the coming weeks greatly especially as all the busyness wears off. If you've ever buried somebody important to you, if they've died, that, then you know that it's not really leading up to it that's the challenge because you're busy, busy, busy. It's after when all the load is off and you've got time to think. So what I would encourage you to do this week is to call them, talk to them, write them a card, let them know you care, offer to help, we have a number of families that are in that challenge right now. We talked about this last week. Please, please reach out to them because we need each other, right? We need each other. Are there any pra other prayers, any other things? Yes. How's your son doing? He's ahead of schedule on his therapy? Patty's son is ahead of schedule. Okay, he's going back to work in a week? Okay. Oh, wow. 
So that's an act of God that he's going back that soon. Praise God. Praise God for that. Praise God. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Who else? Tim Tillman. Is he home? He was supposed to come home maybe yesterday, right? Okay. Is he home yet? Does anybody know? Monday. Okay. So he should be coming home Monday, which is praise God, because that means that his heart valve was fine, that it was about getting rid of an infection. That's good. That's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, sir. The family's in Dayton. If you did not hear, there was a a mass shooting in Dayton overnight. Um, Nine people were killed. 16 were injured. Um, Were were injured this morning? Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So I've, I've lobbed Reggie an email asking if we can help, and I will let you know if something comes up. It says he needs help with that. We're happy to do that. In fact, a number of brethren churches in the area have done the same. I've kind of said, whatever you need, we're here for you. Texas, Texas, El Paso, a couple days ago. Okay. Uh, We live in a fallen world. (laughs) Um, Our job is to try to remind people that there is a better way, and his name is Jesus Christ, right? So if you see somebody in turmoil, in difficulty, in anger, please don't run from it. Please have the courage to engage just a little and remind them there is another way, that there is a great high priest that we serve. And maybe a heart is turned and something like this doesn't happen. Anything? No? I'm glad you're here. I'm very glad you're here. Anybody else? Yes, Miss Susan. Yes. Oh, wow. Brain cancer and lung cancer and going back to work? That's impressive. That is impressive. Anybody else? Gregory. TMI. All right. So, anybody else? Mark. You had a back procedure Friday. You're feeling a lot better. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm glad you're feeling better. That's good, right? Good. All right. Anybody else? Praise God for that. All right. Well, let's close in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful that you allow us to meet together. We are thankful for this place, but we are more thankful for the people in it and thankful that you have given us a faithful, permanent, always present, all-powerful high priest, that you have given us a way to see you and to know you and to connect with you, to turn to you in difficult times. And I pray that as we consider the prayers of, of the many here with us and those beyond our walls, that we will remember that our job is to just turn to that, to turn to you, to see you as our high priest and king. And when we do that, we can be healed in ways we couldn't imagine. We can find strength and security in ways that we could not imagine. 
We can know, come to know love and mercy and grace in ways that we just could not imagine and could not get any other way. Lord, we are thankful for your love, your strength, your mercy, and your grace. And we are thankful for your son. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.